0: Welcome to Mormon Visual Culture, a podcast presented by the Zion Art Society and hosted by me, Micah Christensen. This year, we will celebrate the 50th anniversary of President Spencer W. Kimball's landmark talk, The Gospel Vision of the Arts, through discussions with prominent artists, collectors, and thinkers who choose artworks that inspire them and shape LDS culture. Today, we are pleased to have the artist J. Kirk Richards. For more than a decade, Kirk Richards' works, ranging from canvases to sculptures, have won awards in multiple contests. After serving a mission in Rome, the longtime spiritual home of Western art, Kirk graduated from BYU with a visual arts studio degree in 2000, and has worked as a full-time studio artist ever since. You can see a few of his paintings in the most recent edition of the Enzyme magazine. Which month will that be?
1: It's... the. uh... (laughs) It's this past month. It's this past month. Yeah. yeah. Okay.
0: So so this last month, which would have been the... um,
1: You're really putting me on the spot here. I'm pretty sure it's uh, March. It's the March issue? Okay,
0: great. Just wanted to make sure we got that. We got that. Uh, Kirk is also the co-founder of the nonprofit Vision of the Arts Fund. The Vision of the Arts Fund provides scholarships and grants to LDS artists. They raise funds through an online art auction, which is happening right now. You can apply for scholarships and grants on their website through April 29th. The website is visionofthearts.org, that's visionofthearts.org, and you can go there for both the grants, scholarships, and the, uh, the auction that's on right now, that ends this Saturday, right? That's right, yeah. Well, welcome, Kirk. Glad you're here. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, you are the first in this series that we're doing, so thanks for being our guinea pig.
1: I like being a guinea pig. <laughs> uh,
0: can you tell us which work you've chosen that we're going to talk about during the podcast?
1: Yeah, well, um, I, I really wanted to talk about a piece by Bruce Hicks and Smith, um, The Woman Taken in Adultery, And I know he's done a number, uh, uh, done that painting more than once. So um, the one the one that I, I think may be most accessible, to the general public is the one that's in the church, uh, the collection at the Church Museum of History and Art. Um, so, it, you, you, you know, you can find at least one version of his paintings on the website of the Church History Museum.
0: For the podcast listeners, we will have on our website, zionartsociety.org, the image of the principal Version of this we'll be talking about, plus others. We've got at least three, maybe even five others that we'll have up on that uh, on our website. Um, why did you choose the painting?
1: I think partly because of the influence that Bruce Smith has had on me, both in terms of of art, of uh, the aesthetic of making an image. But also just on being a Mormon and thinking about how to um, live the gospel. I think the this idea of not judging hmm. is uh, is fascinating to me in terms of living the gospel, but also creating art. you know art almost begs to be judged. Hmm. and so the this the kind of the the tension between making images that will be judged, um, but making an image of, about not judging.
0: So it's not only about the narrative of the woman taken in adultery as being judged and or or not judged by Christ. Um, but it's also that she's a proxy or a or metaphor for art in general. Being judged or not judged, and that's that's one of the things that appeals to you. Am I getting
1: that right? I, I think that's true. I, th- You know, art reflects life, and in this case, life kind of reflects back to art. Um, it, it's kind of a a, a circle that um, these things speak of each other and provide metaphors that we can learn from one 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 to another. So... Um, I met Bruce at BYU, and honestly, the first time I had a conversation with Bruce, I judged him. Um, I came out of that conversation thinking, wow, this this is somebody that contradicts himself within a single conversation. Hmm. Um, but I, I, over time, I learned that that was one of the things that is really Bruce's strength, and I really learned that what... Bruce is about is um, is reconsidering his opinions of things of very carefully um, considering both sides of any issue or any principle and um, so over time I, that, that became he really became a hero to me both in terms of an artist and in terms of hmm. approaching the world well let's let's talk a little bit about his background he was uh, born in Utah in
0: 1939 so now he's um, he's retired. He was a professor at BYU starting in 1978, and by the time is is the first time you met him and had this the, the, these interactions when you were a student in BYU's Studio Visual Art program.
1: Yes, that was the first time I met him as a person. I'd been aware of his images even as a you know as a kid. I I took music lessons in the Harris Fine Art Center on BYU campus, and and one of these, uh, a lithograph of the woman taken in adultery by Bruce Smith was on the wall in the Madsen Recital Hall. I remember seeing that image even as a kid. When would that date have been around that you were doing that? Oh gosh, I'm trying to think. I mean, I was born in 76. I'm guessing maybe even as early as 10, maybe 15, so 86, 86. Uh, late 80s probably.
0: The reason I'm asking is, as I was preparing for our discussion today about, uh, about Bruce Smith. I found that there was a major exhibition stage of his works in 1993. That Linda Gibbs, who was a curator at BYU and then went on to, and to be a major curator at the Church Museum of History and Art, wrote a really wonderful uh, catalog introducing his works and interviewing him. And I'll put a link of, to that on, uh, on our website. Uh, accompanying this discussion and for that he did six scenes from the life of christ and this of the woman taken in adultery was one of them i don't know to what extent he'd experimented with the subject at that point but i know from subsequent interviews that he's had that it was during that 1993 exhibition that this subject of all of the six that he chose for that 1993 exhibition is one that he continued to experiment with, and it it seemed like in these images, which there's a range of them that we have in front of us here that I'll put on the site, they they have what you described as this kind of um, contradictions in the word you 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 use, but it was this idea that that he he could he could see both sides. They vary dramatically from being abstract to representational and traditional. Um, and the one that you choose that we started off with, I don't, I don't know if you chose it because it was one of the more representational ones. In fact, I think you just chose one of them,
1: right? Yeah, I just chose one. And in, in fact, well, I was going to ask you, Micah, is the, in the '93 exhibition, yeah. which one? Which of these pieces? Was exhibited. Was it the one that's in the church collection? It,
0: it was not pictured in the catalog. It was pictured in the um, in in. in uh, a, a, I saw one that was a lithograph that was done in 1993. That's very abstract. The one in the church collection was done in 2002. Huh. So it, it it was it was almost 10 years after the 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 series, and it is the one in the church collection is. Um, let's talk about it for a minute. Okay, so it's it's the woman caught in adultery, and it is in some ways fairly traditional. It has the uh, it has Christ on the bottom right, who is drawing in the uh, writing on the ground, as described in uh, in John chapter eight, and there are people who have brought a woman that's to Christ's right. I think it's. Interesting choice. Um, that are pointing at the woman and then pointing at Christ. Compositionally, there's this um, really brilliant um, Z. They would call an advertising terminology compositional device where you start at the top left of the painting. And then your your eyes are drawn to one figure who then pulls you to another one that eventually pulls you to Christ. So you start at the top left, and you end up in the bottom right, and you're dragged along the narrative the whole way. And then I love that he has this, this, this figure that's hiding behind the column in the back, perhaps a disciple, which is a very 16th century, 17th century compositional device that was used all the time by Venetian artists in particular where where it it made you feel like uh you were maybe brought into the painting looking at the scene yourself a little bit yeah yeah so so for an artist who's very abs- um could could be very abstract he clearly is borrowing from some tried and tested narrative devices that that uh, would have been familiar to any traditional artist
1: yeah compositionally you mentioned the z you know there's a strong triangle within that z mm. and that's overlaid on this greater kind of circle, you know, that that, that there's this eye path that's this circle that just keeps your eye in continuous motion uh, throughout the, you know, the larger rectangle. So there are some very traditional uh, approaches to composing in this painting.
0: I found a statement by him that he made in that 1993 catalog where he said, my paintings are about art, which is in constant state of flux. Modernism did away with the old attitudes and ideas about art, but now modernism itself is over. I seek to incorporate some of the older attitudes about art and still have my work retain some of the brand new things modernism tried to do, including being a means of ditching the old. And when I read this and here, I I. I, I it, it reminds me of what you said. This is this is someone who's making two arguments that contradict one another at the same time.
1: Yeah. Well, I think that um, we have to deal with these arguments every day. Like, what am I going to do? Am I going to to paint something that seems like it's from the past? Yeah. Or am I going to paint something that seems like it's current in that at least it's post-industrial? Yeah. Um. But but there are elements that are appealing of both of those. So how do we have kind of a new synthesis of things that are both seemingly timeless, but also make something that feels like it's made today, that it speaks of our time? So when you
0: were—I uh, don't want to talk to the Kirk Richards, who's the currently successful, knowledgeable artist. I want to talk to that 10-year-old taking lessons in the Harris Fine Arts Center— if you had seen one of his images hanging there, this is at a time when church materials were dominated by very traditional depictions. Um, I don't know if Greg Olson was at that time very as 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 predominant as it is now, but you would have had um, Simon Dewey, Robert Barrett, who would have been um, prominent at that time. and, I imagine this contrasting with that stylistically, his works would have been something you'd notice as a young man. Was there something that in that difference that appealed to you, or am I am, am I projecting?
1: Well, I don't I, I don't want to contradict you. I, I'm, I'm trying to think. I don't remember Simon Dewey coming you can contradict on the scene me. I'm until later. With that. <laughs> and, and, and honestly, I, I don't know if. If I'm chronologically uh, mistaken, you know, I think I remember this lithograph from Bruce. um, Which is very abstract, this lithograph. So long ago. And in fact, I got to say that as I'm looking at these different depictions, I almost love the lithograph the most. And it's the most abstract. Because I'm drawn to that abstraction. And it's it's interesting also that Bruce once said to me... um, you know, when you don't, you know, when you leave things soft, when you don't define things, all it shows is what you don't know. Interesting. And I've thought about that a lot because in many cases there are are things in the gospel that we don't know. You know, we we tout what we know in testimony meeting, but in reality, for example, what does Jesus look like? I'm Pretty sure he doesn't look like what we often depict him as looking like, and um, and so in in some ways that that calls for abstraction, because uh, abstraction turns things into a symbol, and it it shows that we there are things that we don't know about it.
0: That's, that's a really fascinating concept. I want to talk about on a nuts and bolts artist level when he said, I, I want to reconcile this. So on one hand, you said, don't leave things soft. Define them more. And, and that comment was prompted right after you said that you liked the most abstract version of it, which, which I think if most people heard the term soft and don't leave it undefined and then you described an abstract image using that terminology saying he he didn't go soft on that abstract image tell me more about if you can tell me more about what you mean i think i get an idea of it well what I, want, I i want to I, I, I want you to go deeper
1: on that i i can't remember exactly what we were talking about this was you know 20 years ago but um i think i was drawn to some of the 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 moody Maybe things that some some of the BYU grads were doing, um, inspired kind of by Ennis, you know, mm. where a romantic
0: version of he was, was romanticist? Yeah, is the term I would use as an art historian. That's the term we would use. Sorry,
1: right, but typically not kind of crisp, right? Um, and and so I think Bruce was saying kind of he he was discouraging me or at least thinking in discouraging terms about not proving what i don't know by um by painting soft edges or by um abstracting things yeah but i kind of went the other direction and embraced that hmm. and because there are so many things that i don't know personally Right. You know, I don't even like to get up in a testimony meeting and say I know this, but I, I can talk about my own experiences and uh, I see the gospel through that lens of what are the things that I have tried and, um, and so when I try to depict, for example, Jesus, I don't, I don't know what he looks like, and some of the ones where I've tried hardest to define him and prove what I know have been some of the most unsuccessful paintings that I've done, where the other the other approach that i've taken which is to leave things broad and uh kind of as a type and shadow just as a symbol have been more successful in my in my view so i i thank bruce for that lesson which perhaps wasn't the lesson he intended to give me at that time hmm. but it's something that has kind of permeated my thought since it's interesting. I as you were talking I was reminded of a
0: conversation that I heard with John Lasseter, the producer at Pixar and Disney Studios now. And he was asked about the choice to use no dialogue in the beginning of the film Up, if you remember it. If you've got kids under the age of 12, you've probably seen Up a dozen times. And and uh, the interviewer said I I, I was really amazed at how much emotional mileage I traveled in that 10 minutes. And Laster responded with, a, with almost a scientist's precision in his answer as to why they made that choice. He said that they had, he'd read a study and had discussed it with his team that found that if you gave people audio but no visual – the M- an MRI brain scan showed that the visual part of the brain filled in visual imagery for the audio that the audience was listening to. And if you did visual with no audio, the same thing would happen. But if you combined visual and audio at the same time, the viewer's brain shut down and stopped participating in the process at as a high of a level.
1: Hmm.
0: And this, pro- this idea of leaving... Christ as a broadly defined figure and not going into specificity is something that to me, and I've seen, and, and I experienced it looking at your work, going to your work, when at the Church Museum of History and Art, they had a wall that was full of, of uh, images of Christ's head that you had put up. I think I also saw at Springville Museum of Art in Springville um, some of your works, and i experienced a similar thing where it was almost as if you were inviting me through that abstraction to participate in the the creation of the image i was pulled into it that's a very subjective experience but i kind of wonder as this is this this is getting to a larger question that i've got and that's that as members of the church it seems like there is a As creators of art in the church, I should say, there seem to be two large camps. One is more of an abstract experimental side, and another one is more of a classical representational side. And if you were dealing with a people that is highly versed in Scripture, you'd think that you could cheat more with the abstract side because your audience would be more forgiving in... In participating in that process, because they'd look at an image. If they saw a stick figure of a Benedeyi on fire, they would all know it was a Benedict, right? If they saw just the, the the merest hints in abstraction of it. But I wonder if, as in Bruce's statement about going to, leaving behind the old, but saying modernism is dead. I notice in your own work. You go quite abstract, but also quite representational. You do both. And how does that affect your audience and the experience with with people looking at your art? Do you lose some of your audience when you go abstract? Do you oh, lose when you go representational?
1: Positive that I lose both directions, but I also gain both directions. Do you? Is there a
0: Venn diagram where there's somewhere in the middle a, a grouping that... that, that it's,
1: the it's, most brilliant people are right there in the middle. So. Really, you <laughs> no, think so? I don't. I'm just. I'm being. Uh, How do you I'm make? joking, but
0: it's a broad question. I know, but it's it's a question about the choices you make to be representational versus abstract.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, back to Bruce Smith, he would work from nature, like right. he painted incredible portraits, and he studied with Alvin Gittens famous portraitist based
0: at the University of Utah who did, you can see his portraits all over the state and country.
1: Yeah. And if you go to the Springville Museum of Art, there's a wall of portraits. Mm -hmm. And so many people have stopped to look at Bruce's and even commented on it and said, who is this artist? I'm just drawn to this portrait for some reason. And Bruce was a fantastic um, portrayer of nature, studier of nature. But he doesn't use any of that when he's doing these narratives. He doesn't refer to nature. He makes, he makes these figures up. Hmm. And he, he tried to get me to separate those two worlds, studying from nature and, um, you know, doing perhaps narrative things or imaginative things without kind of mixing the two worlds. I kind of rejected that in, in in many ways, I I do mix those two worlds where I'll do a a narrative and draw from nature, but also from my imagination at the same time.
0: Why did he want you to separate the two worlds? Do you think? What's the value in that? I'm not that, not that I'm questioning it. I'm just
1: it's just an interesting distinction. That is a really good question. I think maybe because it's done poorly so much. Representational work and, and by me, you know. No, well, the synthesis of. Mm. Uh, imagination and the study of nature Mm. you know I think in past centuries the 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 academicians of the 1900s uh, late 1800s um, I'm sorry 19th century mostly 1800s they did this fantastically you know they drew on nature but also were able to synthesize their own worlds with it and um I don't know if it's partly because Bruce wanted to to not go back to um kind of neoclassical ideals he wanted to to somehow embrace modernism but also he loved uh good um craftsmanship he loved uh careful observation of nature so but i but i i think it's interesting what he chose to keep in from traditional approaches in these paintings and what he chose to not keep for example he didn't refer to nature um he just made them up out of it i remember going into his studio one time and he was talking about this hand that he'd just made up and how he kind of liked it because it it was its own thing. It, didn't, it, wasn't a, it wasn't reliant on reality or even past artists. It was just this new kind of interpretation of mm-hmm. the hand.
0: When I was reading about him, uh, there was a studio visit that uh, he did an interview for and had talked about how uh, uh, he, he pulled out during the interview... Uh, a series of old master prints, etchings, some Albrecht Durer work, some uh, Raphael, and other things that he described going over with tracing paper and lines, hmm. but he described the process differently than what I, as as a as an art historian, would think as an artist typically using the works for. He was using them for shapes and general lines of composition in the 17th to late 19th centuries as this period that you're talking about where people were very focused on on precision on line of of figures the curriculum was usually start children very young working on tracing paper and copying exactly and they will absorb through these tracings not only composition but senses of light and dark and and other things that they'll that will then Take them to the next level, which is mastery of the individual figures. And then we'll add composition together in this great synthesis in the end. When I look at this image in particular, the one that's in the church collection, and I see this, this um, I think it's, it, the more I look at it, the more I'm drawn in by the compositional elements. Um, not just of the, uh, the rhythms, like uh, you see these figures that are at the top and their heads and the space between them, the choice of some of them being lighter in areas and darker, the kind of, um, uh, way that their head tilts draw you around to different figures that are in the piece. And, and then the, the, uh, the, the arms and the fingers that are pushing some of them that are going directly from the sides in a way that is fairly unnatural and, 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 uh, other one that has this foreshortening, this figure that's right above the woman's head, which you would have to understand the the rules of perspective in order to make that a convincing um, hand that's coming out almost in front of him, but slightly crossing his chest and going right above her. It's a really subtle but interesting mix of choices that are made from him making pure rhythm, compositional choices of drawing your eye around, and then observation and understanding perspective where he's drawing on nature. But if you were to say to somebody in general, is this more of a representational, mathematically correct piece, I don't know if they would notice those subtleties in in the same way. I certainly didn't the first time I saw it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I... we're talking about all of these pointing arms and there's something kind of Shakespeareanly dramatic about these gestures that really hits the nail on the head, which, again, as I'm looking at the the different depictions, this lithograph with its abstractions Hmm. gives me more uh, room to infuse my own... Ideas about who might have been there, you know, um, like the state of mind of each of these characters. Um, I guess I I feel like that there there are subtleties that are not as laid out for you or not as spelled out in the lithograph as Hmm. there are in the paintings, which, again, is one of the reasons I'm drawn to, to the lithograph.
0: It's interesting to me that you're drawn to the lithograph. I don't mean to dig up an old argument, but I think it may be useful. But in the the, uh, 19th century, even back to the Renaissance, there was a debate almost constantly about um, disegno versus colore, the Italian for line versus color. And he, in these two pieces, the one that is in the church collection is much more disegno. It's... Its colors are more neutral. The figures um, are more carefully drawn and delineated. Um, and then the figure, the, the piece that's the lithograph is hot in its coloring. The figures are not nearly as defined. It's If you didn't know they were both by Bruce Hicks and Smith, you would not have, I would not have put them as the same paint artist.
1: You know, it's interesting on my drive up here, I was thinking about the image in the church collection, and that it was almost a drawing because yeah. of the very muted colors and because of the line quality. So um, it's interesting that you mentioned Dizeno. I was, I was looking through my Instagram feed right before this, and,
0: I, and your post popped up that said, here are the 16 projects I was working on yesterday to some degree or another. And as I was looking at those, just like these two images, there's this there, there there's a there's a huge range. You have an enormous range. There were sculptures, there were pieces that were fairly abstracted, there were canvases, there were pieces that were they were hotter than others, some that were more neutrally toned. If if you were to bring in, I imagine, a uh, a consultant who is, if there is such a thing as a business consultant for artists, they would they would come in and say, okay, we need you to specialize in one particular thing. We want we want cowboys on horses, and we want them to to look this particular way. How? Uh, but but you obviously haven't chosen that path. You've chosen a path where you, like Bruce Hickson Smith, have maintained quite a range.
1: Yeah, it's always been important to me to, um, to explore and to kind of not back myself into a corner. And I know that, uh, you know, galleries and, and clients kind of want to know what to expect. And so it's easy to get backed into a corner and that's probably the smart thing to do business wise, but I, I've, I don't I've know always if it is. resisted.
0: Is there a reason why you've re- re- resisted? I'm not saying that you should or shouldn't have. I think it's just interesting. I'm just trying to, to, to find out what is it in, in you similar to Hicks and Smith that his that has, uh co- that, that that drives that.
1: Yeah, I think there's a, a search, you know, for um, for improvement, you know, for exploration. You you just it, you don't want to get bored, especially if you're doing 100 paintings a year, you don't want to uh burn out. I think yeah. for me the variety helps. Uh-huh. It helps me to do quick things that I can finish uh, and feel like have that uh, feeling of having accomplished something while simultaneously working on a painting that takes me two or three years to complete. Um, Also, I think honestly, even though galleries like kind of to know what to expect, I think it actually helps if you have got some variety when a client comes in, and they they'll respond to some things, and they won't respond to other things. And if they're all the same thing or iterations of the same thing, then you're you're less likely to to make a connection with that client.
0: I imagine it cuts both ways because on one hand, you've got people who they want to know, um, could you do this for me? They probably you probably get commissions requests all the time where somebody will say, I saw this work that was on a friend's wall. Um, and it's something you did 10 or 15 years ago in a style you've probably moved on from and they want you to do it. But at the same time, there are people who want to know what you're going to do next. I feel that way about your work. I think, I wonder what Kirk's going to do now. I want to see what he's doing now. And, and that kind of anticipation is, uh, is, is I think something that, uh, it's a risk, I'm sure. Is it something that that uh do you feel
1: like it's a risk though? Maybe it's not. To be to have a stylistic spread. Yeah. Yeah, to be inventive and to be working on the next thing. Well, if you can't risk anything in art then, you know, yeah. Then it's an, another 9 to 5, and not to I mean, some people approach art that way and that's a, that's fine for them, but for me uh I I'm just I'm not that regimented and I've I need um, I need to be pushing the, the boundaries of what I've done in the past. Is this anything that related
0: to your time in, um, in uh, the studio program at BYU? When, when I ask that, let me first state, for those, of you, for those who don't necessarily know, that there, there's, a, there's a distinction usually between artists. There's some that go to the studio program, and there's some that go to the illustration program at BYU. And I don't know if the differences are as big as some people make them out to be. But I imagine that a Hicks and Smith personality and ethic was very different than the kind that would have survived in an illustration program at the same time you went to school.
1: Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Bruce mixes his own paints. Um, and And honestly does not produce a lot of work because he's so kind of meticulous about his process and reworks things and, you know, um, which is kind of the antithesis of the illustration program where you've got to produce. You're, being, you're, you're, you're studying to work for hire, hmm. and the more work you can get done, the better. I think the value of going through the the the... Fine arts program for me um, was the. When you say fine arts, you mean the studio program. The studio, right? studio, yes. And you uh, got to correct me if I have any of the parlance. No, I think that out. you're you're right, and thank you for correcting me. My my degree is a visual arts studio degree. Okay. And 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 that program focuses on pushing you conceptually, you know. So a lot of those, a lot of the work there is much more conceptual, and a lot of the work in the illustration program, on the other hand, is is more um, production-oriented. And I, will, I, I kind of fit in between those two, which I think a lot of
0: students... It's almost unfair to choose, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I, I think the, all of the students could benefit from uh, learning from both hmm. both departments, but that's not really how the world works right now. So. No,
0: no. How how do you see? Just a, just a couple more questions. Where do you see we, Bruce Hickson Smith's place in the pantheon of Mormonism in the in the universe of Mormonism? Where where does his work? it's it's a it's a very broad question but you know we we and, and I don't even I wouldn't even know how to answer it myself
1: necessarily I'm not leading you anywhere well he he didn't produce a lot um, I mean he, he's still living and working but um, but I think it's hard to know you know I, I kind of imagine in the future generations will, Rediscover Bruce's work, and and they will be extremely prized possessions because of their limited quantity. I know that he influenced a a lot of LDS artists that came through the BYU programs and and beyond. Um, so I think that uh, he'll be remembered as an influencer. And I just really hope that his legacy gets the attention that it deserves long term.
0: So it was both the things that he produced and the influence that he had as a as a teacher and as a thinker. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds well. This work in particular, it's heartening to know that it's in the Church Museum of History and Art. Um, I again, I will make sure that all of these images we talked about today are up on our site. Um, Before we go, um, I want to ask you about the Vision of the Arts Fund. Tell us about um, the grants and scholarships you're giving, what kind of artists you're giving them to, who you're seeking out.
1: Yeah, so the Vision of the Arts Fund was actually begun uh, by Desert Book, and then they kind of decided that they weren't going to continue doing it. So we have taken that over, and and basically the the scholarships that we're providing are, one— um, scholarships to study for artists interested in depicting gospel themes kind of uh, in honor of Kimball's talk and, and his vision the second, That's the vision of the arts as a title which is a fantastic title yeah. Yeah. yeah, thank you and then the second thing that we're doing right now although we have more initiatives we want to do in the future the second thing that we're actually implementing right now is a grant for mothers of young children artists who um, maybe they've studied in college and are, are trying to begin a career, but are perhaps, uh, you know, involved with all of the demands of being a mother of young children. We want to help them by providing some uh, seed money to to foster their art careers. That is phenomenal. When we were doing last year as the Zine Art
0: Society, this experiment of an exhibition, and we had calls for entry we were surprised and pleasantly surprised by the large number of women who had, had extensive training as artists and who were remarkable in their, in their production. But were if you were to compare them to the men who had the same amount of training or even less, they were not as represented in galleries. Very few of them had representation. And I walked away from that experience feeling like this is a big part of the future of LDS art. Is this group of talented,
1: um, thoughtful women artists? Absolutely. I mean, if you if you look at the BYU art program, the percentage of women to men is extremely high. You know, there's very there's a lot more women than men in those programs. But then, um. You know, a lot of them um, are putting their husbands through college or or whatever, and and the demands of being a mom are 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 so high. We just want to make it possible to have you know some more Minerva Tykert's out there. So, well, we applaud right. you for for doing that. So, I guess the, my my plea to the listeners would be to go to visionofthearts.org. Check out the auction, which is our fundraiser. There are pieces available to bid on this week. It ends Saturday night. And the more that we can bring in, the more that we'll be able to disperse in grants and scholarships. And if by chance
0: someone is listening to this after that auction has ended, because this will be living online for a while,
1: you're doing these with regularity. Right. So um, as long as my wife and I can handle it, we're going to try to... Delegating some of these responsibilities um, every six months is our, pl- our is our plan. So come, come back. Well, we wish you all the success in that. I'd like to thank you,
0: J. Kirk Richards, for joining us for this episode of Mormon Visual Culture, presented by the Zine Art Society. You can see the work he has chosen by Bruce Hickson Smith and others we discussed on our website, zineartsociety.org, under the podcast tab, along with works selected by other artists, scholars, and thinkers in our series. If you have a work you would like to suggest for this podcast and to have us discuss, please visit us at zionartsociety.org. I'm Micah Christensen, and thank you for listening.